Good morning. Welcome again to Silver Creek. Uh, we are thrilled to have you joining us online. Uh, thanks again for taking time each week to make this a priority and be a part of our services. Um, as Elizabeth mentioned, we are jumping into a new series this morning um, called Choose Joy. And I am convinced that Choose Joy would make perfect sense even if the world around us wasn't going crazy. Um, uh, right now, obviously, there's so much going on around us and in our world and choosing joy is amazing, amazing opportunity. But also, even if all that wasn't going on, I think this would also be a perfect time if the only thing that we were facing is the holiday season. I don't, I don't know about you. I know a lot of people anticipate it. There's a lot of great things about it. But there are also a lot of pressures and struggles and needs and expectations. And, and oftentimes, they can, all of that can kind of, that pressure can grow and life can be kind of difficult during the holidays. And what we need to know and what we can understand is that there's always the option to choose joy. And when we say choose joy, that doesn't mean like having this sort of fake happiness. But you and I can actually begin to choose a, and find genuine reasons and, and establish some habits that can create a heart and a mind where we actually enjoy and find joy in life. So what we're going to do through this series is we're actually going to spend the entire series in one particular book. We're going to walk our way through the book of Philippians. Now, the book of Philippians is actually a letter, uh, but because it's in the Bible, we call it a book. It's kind of a weird system, but that's what it is. Anyway, um, some would argue that the book or the letter of Philippians is the happiest or the most joyful book in the entire Bible. In fact, the word joy or glad or enjoy or rejoice, happy, happiness, those kind of words, those words appear over, up to 17 times in a very short book. 17 times the writer, a guy by the name of Paul, references this particular type of emotion. Paul was one of the early church leaders, and, and what's amazing about the fact that Paul wrote a book that is so full of joy is that when he was writing this book that's so full of joy and gladness and happiness, he was actually writing it while he was sitting in prison for telling people about Jesus. So he's sitting in prison in Rome, and he writes this book about joy, which, which truly means that joy doesn't have to be based on our happenings or our happenstances. And Paul, he's sitting in prison, and he's writing to the city of Philippi, the church in Philippi. Philippi was a city in Greece. Paul had traveled there earlier. He had started this church. He had helped plant this church. And now Paul is in prison, and so he's taking some time, and he's writing them a letter. He's thanking them. He's thanking them for all of their support. He's thanking them for the financial gifts that he's given them. He's thanking them for the fact that they've prayed for him and that they've loved him. So not only is this one of the most joyful books in the Bible, it's also one of the most personal books in the Bible. Now I want to challenge you to do something. My challenge for you, because we're going to stay in the same book for the next seven weeks, is that you would spend time each and every week actually reading through the entire book. Because if we can begin to read through it, and it's going to be a short read, it's not that, it's not, you're not like a whole book, 
But if we would begin to read through this each week and let it soak into our hearts and soak into our minds, then as we talk about it on Sundays, it'll begin to grow out of us even more. Now, we've been doing this thing where we try to get a little bit more interactive with those of you that are at home um, and get you to respond, and maybe that isn't your thing, and maybe you hear this challenge to read through, the Bible, or read through Philippians each week. I'm going to challenge you that in, in the group chat, if you would commit to, if you would say, I am going to strive to read Philippians every week. It's about a 20-minute read. There's only four chapters. If you're willing to do that in the chat, just type, I'm in. I'm in. It'll take you 20 minutes, you know, four minutes a day during the five days of the week. You'll be done. It's not hard. But if you and I are going to choose joy, allowing this book to begin to, to pour into our hearts and pour into our minds will allow us to begin to choose joy throughout our lives. So we have to figure out where are we going to start? Where, what are we going to use to get headed in a specific direction? And maybe we could start by talking about money, or, or maybe if we're going to choose joy, we could talk about marriage, or, or time, or how to use our hobbies, or our career, or, or whatever. What, where would we start? Well, it makes sense to start where Paul starts, and Paul, the writer, starts with relationships. Because what we know in our life is that, that it's nearly impossible to choose joy when our relationships are unhealthy. Now, it's possible, you and I can choose joy when our relationships are a struggle, but if we can begin to create healthy relationships, it will actually produce and bring joy into our life. Because if our relationships are unhappy, then our life is probably going to be unhappy. And so Paul starts out, and he's talking, and, and not only is he talking about relationships and healthy relationships, he actually models for us what it looks like to choose joy. And he rolls this out for us during these first 11 verses of Philippians 1. And in these verses, he tells us how we can have healthy relationships. And Paul begins to describe and give us the description of his relationship with the people of Philippi. And in these first 11 verses, we're going to see four statements that we can look at that you and I can then develop in our lives to create healthier, happier, more joyful relationships. That if we choose these things, we are actually choosing joy in our lives. So we're going to do something a little different. We're going, to, we're going to read this big portion of Scripture, and then we'll dive into it. So follow along. This is what it says in Philippians 1, 1 through 11. It says, This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. It's written to all of God's people in Philippi who believe in Jesus Christ and the elders and the deacons of the church. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you. I make my request with a heart full of joy because you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. I am confident that God who began his good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ comes back again. It's right that I should feel as I do about all of you. You have a very special place in my heart. We've shared together the blessings of God. When I was in prison, when I was out, defending the truth and telling others the good news, God knows how much I love you and how I long for you, how much I love you and long for you with a tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that, you, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more. I pray that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. 
May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So in these verses, Paul begins to tell us, he begins to model for us what relational habits we can put into practice so that our relationships will become more enjoyable. So that our relationships, as we're choosing these things, we are choosing joy by developing relational habits that make life better. And as we go through these, and as I begin to explain these things, uh, as we, as I, you're, we're going to be like, oh yeah, that, yeah, yep, totally get it. And actually, as we say these things, you're going to be like, oh yeah, we already know that. But the problem is, we already know it, and it's really easy to say, but it's not always easy to do them. And so as we look at these relational ideas, if we can really build them into our lives, if we'll take these things and really begin to choose to do them, we'll actually be choosing joy, and it'll begin to transform our hearts and our relationships. And so the first thing we see what Paul is saying, Paul is telling us to be grateful for the people in my life. Study after study after study links gratitude to joy. It's been proven by psychologists and sociologists and a whole bunch of other smart people with ists at the end of their names that the more grateful we are, the more joy we experience, that the more ungrateful we are, the more we struggle to choose joy. So if you want to have good relationships, it starts by having gratitude for those in your life. We begin to enjoy those relationships when we begin to develop and begin to practice being grateful for the people in our lives. Look back at the letter. This is what Paul said. Paul said, every time I think of you, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Paul is choosing to remember the good times. Paul is choosing to remember and focus on the good things that happened. What what an amazingly simple truth we could bring into our lives that would begin to produce good relationships. That every time we think of someone, we thank God for them. Paul is saying, every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Now, if we get really honest with ourselves, when you consider and think about other people, is your first thought gratitude? Typically for me, no. Nope, that's not typically what we tend, when we first think of people, oftentimes we think of people, like, what could they do for me? I wonder what they could add into my life. Or or we think negative, like, ah, well, man, they detract or they're difficult. Or we think about somebody, well, well, they're usually late. Or they're constantly in a hurry and too good for me. Or, Or they failed to deliver what I needed. Or, man, there's so much tension between the two of us. Or remember when they forgot to do that task, they didn't finish it? Our first thought is not typically gratitude. And what Paul is saying is, when I think about you, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give thanks. I'm going to be grateful for who you are. I'm going to be grateful for what you've done. And the real problem is, is that the longer that we know someone, the more we take them for granted. The longer that we know someone, the more we know about their faults and their failures, and we tend to focus there. And for some reason, it's so much easier to remember the bad things about people than the good things, than the joyful things. But if we can begin to choose to make this a habit, to begin to think well of people, to begin to thank God for the people that are in our lives, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our husband, for our wife, for our kids, for our relatives, if we would thank God, 
if we would choose to allow our first thought to be gratitude, it would change our relationships. But it's not natural to be grateful. We are not naturally grateful people. We are naturally discontented people. We, we, we typically want more. We typically want different. Paul actually says it twice. He says it in verse 5. In verse 5 he says, I thank God for the help you gave me. He's like, I thank God every time I think of you, and I thank God for the way that you helped me. He is literally choosing joy through being grateful. When Paul first got to Philippi, there was a lady there by the name of Lydia. She, owned, she was a business lady, and when Paul got there, she's like, you need a place to stay? You, can, you know, I don't know, give him a couch. You can stay here. Paul is basically goes on to describe how on the very first day he was welcomed. He was welcomed in. After his time in Philippi was done and he moved on, the church sent money to help support the missionary vision of Paul and the ministry that he was doing. Now while Paul is sitting in prison, the church has now sent money to help pay for the need. You know, that when you were in prison, they didn't give you everything that you needed, so you had to buy a lot of stuff, so now they've, they've sent him money. And Paul says, I thank God for the way that you have helped me. Imagine what would happen in your life if you just sat down and spent some time and thought about the people in your life and thought about the things that they've done for you and just decided to be grateful. And again, the longer that we know people, the more we take them for granted, the more we think they should just do those things. And so it's so much easier for us to find their faults and to remember the bad things than to remember the good things. And the truth is that when, when Paul got to Philippi, it wasn't all good times. In fact, the church, starting the church in Philippi was one of the most difficult times. It was a super rough start. But you, but you don't get that as you read this letter. He's not like, hey, remember how hard it was? I mean, when Paul first started the church, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was humiliated, he was falsely arrested, he was thrown in prison, he went through an earthquake. The political leaders politely asked him to leave. Like, Paul went through 2020 before we went through 2020. He's saying, when I think about you, I thank God for you. I thank God for your help. Really what Paul is doing is he is choosing to have selective memory. Because it wasn't a happy place. It wasn't all sunshine and lollipops and, and roses and rainbows and my little ponies and everything else that's happy. It wasn't just all those good things. There was a lot of bad stuff that happened. But Paul chose not to just dwell on the painful. And when we look at the way Paul lived and what Paul modeled, if you and I will choose joy, what will begin to happen is we will make the choice to choose joy and remember the best and then forget the rest. If you and I are truly going to choose joy in our relationships, we're going to have to choose to remember the best about people and their life and with selective memory, forget the rest. And I'm not just saying, this isn't just like grin and bear it and like, for, no, no. but we can choose to hold on to the positive choices and actions that, have pe that people have taken rather than holding on to all of their mistakes and mess ups and blunders. So we have to take time to reflect and remember and be grateful for the people in our life. So the first choice, if we're going to choose joy that's going to transform relationships, is we have to choose to be grateful. Because if we're not, we'll find ourselves complaining and worrying and frustrated. So we choose to be grateful for the people in our lives.
The next choice that we're going to make if we're going to choose joy is we're going to choose to pray joyfully for the people in my life. Paul was praying for these people. And when Paul says he's praying for these people, that was a big deal. Because Paul was a big deal. Like, Paul is the thing. Like, Paul is the man at the moment. He is, like, in Christian circles. Like, if, if, if Paul is praying for you, if you know Paul, or if Paul knows you, like, you're, you're stuff. And so Paul is saying, listen, you, those of you in Philippi, I am praying for you. Which had to make them feel good. What had, which had to give them a sense of additional value. That Paul, this guy who was so much such a thing, he was praying for them. And, and it's true for us. It's encouraging when somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. To know that somebody would, would care enough to take time to think about me and to consider what I'm going through. And not only to think about me and think about what I'm going through, but that they would also take it to God. That they would take time to bring to God. That's honoring and affirming that somebody cares about us that much. This is what Paul says, verse 4. Paul says, I always pray for you, and I may make my request with a heart full of joy. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of somebody, I want you to think about somebody in your life that really irritates you. Okay, just give it a second. Think about that person that really irritates you. Okay, now, now type their name in the chat. Let's just keep playing along. Not nah, kidding, bad idea. Don't do that. Hopefully I stopped you in time. Okay, so think about the person that really irritates you, and if they're in the room with you, try not to look at them. Just think about them, okay? So you've got it. Everybody got this person? And, and maybe they irritate you. Maybe there's a strained relationship. Maybe they just rub you the wrong way. They're just, maybe their Facebook posts drive you, whatever. Who's the, who's the person that irritates you? You got that person in mind? Everybody nodding at home? I can't see you, but I'll just assume. So we all figured out who irritates us. I want you to think back to the last time that you prayed for them. Okay? Think back to the, that person that irritates you. Think back to the last time that you prayed for them. You got a date in mind? How, maybe it's a number of days. Weeks? Years? Never? Okay, all right. Now, I want you to think about that person that irritates you, and I want you to think about the last time that you complained or grumbled or called out one of their flaws. Maybe you didn't even say it out loud, but you just let those thoughts roll through your mind. Okay, so think back. When's the last time you complained about them? Can you, can you, the date? Maybe it's a number of weeks ago. Maybe it's just a couple days ago. Maybe it's a couple minutes ago. Maybe it's happening right now and you're complaining about me. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, what, what was more recent? When you think about that person that irritates you, have you complained about them more recently or have you prayed for them more recently? And we get to choose. And one choice will bring joy into our lives and the other will make us more negative. And it's so easy to come up with aspects and parts about people that we want to change. But we have to recognize, you and I, we, we can't change people, but we can pray for people. And it's not about praying that they will change. It's not about praying that they will become what we think they should be. But it's important that God would work in their life, and it's about praying and, and making a choice. Ultimately, it's about choosing and recognize that one of the quickest ways to change a bad relationship to good is to start praying for them, positively, positively praying for them. And it's about positively praying more than having positive thinking. 
And there's a lot of books out there on positive thinking, and, and I'm not saying that positive thinking is a bad thing. I mean, if you get to choose whether you're going to think positively or negatively, choose positive. But positive thinking isn't going to change your boss or your neighbor or your spouse or your child or your friend or your enemy. Positive thinking can't change anyone else. But positive prayer can be so powerful. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said this. He said, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul gives us four areas that we can pray for. Four areas that we can pray for our friends and our spouses and our enemies and all of those things. People that we're struggling with. People that we're in tension with. Four ways that we can pray joyfully. He says this, the first way that we can pray. We can pray that they will grow in love. We can pray that they will grow in love. I mean, imagine for just a second, if everyone around you grows in love, joy will be easier, right? If everybody's more loving, I think so. Here's how Paul prays. Paul prays that your love will grow more and more. Paul is saying, I'm praying that your love will develop, that your love will strengthen, that that love will become more evident in your lives. Then we can also pray that people will make wise choices, We can pray that they will be guided by God, that they will have clarity in their decisions. We can pray that they would make wise choices. Verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote this. Paul says, I'm praying that you will fully know and understand how to make right choices. Next thing that we can pray for, we can pray that people will live with integrity. Here's how Paul says it. Paul says, I pray that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. Integrity is is choosing in our lives to take actions and choices that are continually right no matter who is watching or who won't ever find out. And then the last thing that we can pray for others is we can pray that they will become like Jesus. If you're at odds with somebody, if there's somebody that absolutely drives you crazy, if they become more like Jesus, don't you think they'll drive you a little less crazy? And joy will begin to be found. Here's what Paul says. Paul prays it this way. He says, I am confident of this, that God, oh, I'm reading the wrong verse. He says this, I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is praying for these people. He's praying joyfully that these four things would come into their lives, that, that they would approach these things in new ways. And we're not looking for the negatives in people. We're, we're, we're beginning to pray for them. And imagine if you begin to pray for these in people's lives, you'll begin to approach them in new ways. As, you, as you're praying for somebody that this would happen in their lives, when you approach them, you won't be looking for the negative things. You'll be anticipating the positive transformation work of God. You'll be saying, oh, well, I want to see where, where God is helping them make the right choices, and I want to see where they're becoming more like Jesus. And not only are you watching for it, but because you've invested time in praying for them, you're likely to respond and interact in ways that will actually help produce those things. And so if we decide to choose joy in our life, a part of that is choosing to create and develop healthy relationships and praying that good would happen for the people around us that it would, they would begin to be transformed and we can begin to watch as God is working in their lives. So if we're going to choose joy, the first thing is we have to be grateful for people in our lives. 
And then we have to pray joyfully for people in our lives, not complaining, not about criticism, not about angst, but pray that God would bless them. And the third choice that we can make if we want to have healthy relationships is we can choose joy by anticipating the best for people in my life. Anticipate the best. Anticipate the best from them. Anticipate them to do the best. And it's so simple to say. It's so hard to do. And, and, and we have to begin to work this out because so oftentimes we expect the worst from people. We expect them to let us down. And not only do we expect the worst, and not only do we expect them to let us down, we can usually point to their track record where they have and why we should be able to anticipate that. In our family, uh, my dad's mom, we called her Granny. That was our name for Granny. We called her Granny. Um, and so that was what we called her. She was this amazing lady, and she actually picked Granny on her own, which I think if you're going to be called Granny, you pretty much have to pick that one on your own because... Like, let's be honest, Granny sounds a bit old and a touch cranky and probably stuck in a rocking chair, um, which I'm actually curious, what, what, what names do you use for your grandparents? If you just drop that in the chat, I'm really curious. What are, so we had Granny and Papa, which, again, they both picked it on their own, but, but Granny was this nothing close to Granny. Like, she was incredibly generous. She was constantly thinking about us. She was always providing things for us. She was always providing different treats and different gifts, and she would, she would oftentimes slip us money, and I, she was always giving me 50s, my brother's 20s. I don't know why, but it was, that's just how it went. Um, so one particular Christmas, we were younger, and we came over, and, and Granny gave my brothers and I, she gave us all these foil-wrapped chocolate Santa Clauses. And we were excited. We're like, yeah, candy, you know. So we ripped the foil wrapping off, and we're like, chocolate Santa, and bite his head off. Well, well Granny was unaware that these particular foil-wrapped Santas were made with baker's chocolate. They tasted terrible. They were some of the most bitter food I can ever remember eating. Guess how many times Granny gave us baker's chocolate? One time. Granny gave us baker's chocolate once, but we were skeptical of every chocolate ever after that point. One time. We are so good at remembering the one time or the few times and holding on to those things and assuming that that's going to be the norm of people. And the reality is, typically we will see and find what we're looking to find. If you're looking for the worst in people, you will find it. And if you're looking for the best in people, you will find it. And if you don't believe me, talk to two different people with two different political viewpoints on their thoughts about the recent debates. You find what you're looking for. And Paul models for us how it is to believe in people rather than criticizing people. Paul writes this, Paul writes, I have too many verses here. He says this, I am confident of this, that God who began a work, a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is modeling for us how we can believe in people in these, this short verse. He starts off by saying, I am confident that God will complete what he started. He's telling the people, he's like, I am expecting the best. I mean, Paul is a pro at bringing out the best in people. He gives us three things that will bring out the best in people. Three things in this verse, the short little verse, he gives us three things. First he says, I'm confident. I'm confident this is going to happen for you. 
with when somebody says, I'm confident for you, it gives you confidence. Basically saying, listen, even if you mess up, even if you stumble, even if you run into a roadblock, that's not the end. You're not going to stop. You're going to keep going. I'm confident you can get this. And he's confident that God is going to do the work in these people, but he's confident and he's telling these people, I believe in you. I have confidence that you'll be able to grow. God is going to work. God is going to complete what he started. And not only is he confident, he begins to paint a vision. He begins to paint a vision that you're going to keep growing, and you're going to keep growing, and you're going to become all that God has for you. God has started this thing, and he's going to finish what he started. God's not going to leave you halfway. He gave the people a vision for for what is going to happen in the future. And studies show us again and again that we live up to the expectations that people put for us. When people expect the best from us, we tend to do better. When teachers expect the best from their students, they tend to perform better. It's been study after study after study. Show us that we tend to do what the people that are important in our lives think of us. We tend to live towards that. So when teachers think the best of their students, they perform well. When teachers think the worst of their students, they perform less than well. And Paul is saying, I expect the best for you. So he believes in the people, and then he gives them a vision. And then Paul does something absolutely amazing. He says he's got patience. He doesn't say he's got patience, but he reveals to them, I have patience in your progress. He doesn't say, I am confident that you will reach what God has for you next week. He doesn't say, I am confident that God will complete what he has for you next year. Paul says, eh, it might take till Jesus comes back. <laughs> this could take some time. He's literally saying, we got, we got time. I got patience. But for you and I, if we insist perfection from people, we will be miserable for the rest of our life. If we're expecting for perfection from people before we can actually enjoy them, we will never find joy in people. We will never be pleased with where people are at in their journey. Paul is saying, I'm patient. I'm patient in your progress. And if you and I are going to choose joy, something essential that we have to do is we have to celebrate how far people have come rather than judging how far they still have to go. Oh man, leave that on the screen for just a second. Somebody needs to tweet that. Celebrate how far people have come rather than judging how far they still have to go. Man, we should just drop the mic. Peace out. When my youngest son, Colby, started playing tennis, he never played before. His freshman year of high school, he's like, Dad, I'm going to play tennis. We're like, okay. After his matches, we would talk about his effort, and we'd talk about some of the new skills that he was picking up, some of his new techniques, things that he had done since his previous match. We talked about the different ways that he was improving and getting better. We never walked after his match and walked over to the seniors and walked over to the people that were playing varsity and be like, he's not playing that good. Ah, Colby, look how far you have to go. I mean, he was brand new at tennis. So we would just celebrate those little tiny wins along the way. Now, this year happens to be Colby's senior year of high school. And we think tennis is going to happen. There's not a lot of it. It's fairly socially distanced. And Colby, when he goes to play his senior year, he's going to be on the varsity team. And so we'll get to celebrate how far he's come. We're not going to go to his senior year on varsity and be like, well, have you seen the pros? There, that's what tennis really looks like. And maybe it's easy when it's your son playing tennis. 
But what about the people that drive you crazy? Paul gives us a hint on how this can work. In the next verse, Paul says this. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. The key to you and I choosing joy and having relational health and healthy relationships is that we have to have people on our hearts, in our hearts. And what you already know and what I already know is that if people aren't on our hearts, then they get on our nerves. You want to get somebody off of your nerves? Get them on your heart. Start praying about somebody and they won't bug you as much. Not praying that they don't bug you. Just start praying for them and you'll find that they're not quite such a bother. Because when you're on my heart, you're not on my nerves. And when you're on my heart, now I celebrate how far you've come. But when you're on my nerves, I judge how far you still have to go. Then the last step that we can take when we choose joy and find healthy relationships is choose to love people in my life like Jesus does. Ultimate joy in our life is going to come when we recognize that Jesus loves us. And when we realize all that he's done for us and what he's rescued us from having to experience, when we recognize that, that will generate joy in our life. And that same love that Jesus has for us that motivated him to give his life so that we could be forgiven is the same love he has for others. And the result of his forgiveness that's available to us, that when we choose that, we're made right. We're made right in our relationship with him. And when we're made right in our relationship with Jesus, it brings him joy. And it's the same love that Jesus has for us that's available to others. He's offered it to every single person in our life, and he loves them the same way that he loves us. And when you and I begin to love people the way Jesus loves people, it will begin to grow and produce healthier and healthier relationships. This is how Paul says it. Paul says, God is my witness that I tell the truth when I say that my deep love for you all comes from the heart of Christ Jesus himself. Paul's not saying, I've generated this. Paul is saying, my love for you, for you, the people of Philippi, it's a genuine love, and it ultimately comes from Jesus. And that when you and I choose joy, when you and I choose that in our lives, it ultimately comes because we've been made right with Jesus. We've chosen to pursue that relationship. But then it begins that we're growing in that relationship. We're learning more about who he is and how that impacts how we live our lives. It means we begin to recognize that we can choose joy by pursuing him. And as I mentioned in the beginning, choosing joy isn't about just always being happy. Choosing joy means we're going to make some choices and choose some actions and some habits and some practices. We're going to choose some things that will lead to healthy relationships. And when we choose things that lead to healthy relationships, it will lead to the opportunity to choose joy. And choosing joy happens when we choose to be grateful for the people in our lives. And choosing joy happens when we choose to pray joyfully for the people in our lives. And choosing joy happens when we choose to anticipate the best for people in our lives. And choosing joy happens when we choose to love people the way Jesus does. And every week we put in your Connect card some, some practical ne next steps, some things for you to consider, some things for you to do. And as you con consider and reflect and determine for yourself your next steps, what is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that Jesus is challenging you to do based on what it is that you've heard this week? 
It's not on here, but maybe one of your next step is, steps is to choose to make sure that you're reading Philippians each and every week. But maybe your next step is to work to remember the best and forget the worst parts of people in your life. Maybe your next step is to identify the individuals for whom you'll start praying. Maybe your next step is to actively celebrate how far people have developed and grown. And maybe your next step is to ask Jesus to give you the strength to love in the same ways that he did. Whatever it is, I would just challenge you, I would just encourage you to reflect on who Jesus is and what he's doing and what he's calling you to. And to recognize that when you and I choose joy, it's about choosing to pursue healthy relationships and that those healthy relationships in our lives will ultimately begin to bring joy. Choosing joy isn't about just choosing to be happy. It's about choosing to do some things that can create relationships that will make life better. Let's pray. God, this morning, I would just ask that you would help us to recognize what an important part we play in discovering joy in our lives. God, there are things that we can do, there are choices that we can make that will allow our lives to be better. God, ultimately out of your love for us, ultimately out of what you've done for us, ultimately as we recognize how you've forgiven us and you've created relationship with us and you've drawn us to yourself, God, that is ultimately where that joy comes from. And out of that, we have the opportunity then to choose joy in the way that we pursue the relationships around us. God, would you help us to see that so much of the relationships around us start with how we pursue, pursue, pursue those and live those out? and the way that we treat those, and the way that we choose joy each and every day. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much for the way that you're continuing to work in our lives in spite of all of the things that are going on around us. God, would you help us to choose joy? In Jesus' name, amen.